and specifically the story of Abraham that we've been looking at for a long time, where his promises that God had given him are coming true. He's seeing things come to a certain degree of fruition. He has the promised son that God promised to him, finally at a point which you and I would describe as at his great old age. He was developing a reputation in the land because God said, well, I can show you if you're in your Bible, you turn to chapter 12, but we'll put it on screen really quick. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. At the beginning of Abram's, Abraham's excuse me, story, at the time his name was Abram, God comes to him and says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. He said, your name will be great, your reputation, you'll be known, and I will bless you and, excuse me, I will bless those who bless you and those, him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He's starting to see this. The beginnings of this are coming about already. He has a son, like I said. He's developing this reputation among the people around him. People are getting to know Abraham and Sarah. And I'd like to just remind you that Abraham was getting known and people were starting to know him and respond to him, not because Abraham was great, but because Abraham had a great God. That is greatness. Sometimes we need to stop and remind that we have a lot of ways of defining greatness to ourselves. I'll be great when my bank account looks like this. I'll be great when this many people like me and think I'm as great as I think I am. I'll be great when, I'll be great when, and I would like to tell you that that's not greatness. That stuff is fleeting. That stuff changes. I remember when I was a trombone player in high school. I was in the jazz band. I was in the band that played in the stands. When the football team played, we were a small school. We didn't do marching band. I remember going to like, I don't know if you guys have experienced marching band, but I went to a friend's school as an honor band. A bunch of schools brought together and they gathered us on the field and suddenly I had to be all marchy. And I'm like in my concert outfit, you know, I got a bow tie on. I'm like, I don't march. <laughs> I get in on a stage and if I'm in the jazz band, I'm in a t-shirt and I'm playing a solo and this isn't me, this is weird. <laughs> my point in bringing it up is everyone thought I was really, really good in my high school. They gave me the John Philip Sousa Award. I got lots of praise. And then I went to Cal State Fullerton as a music major thinking I was going to take on the world. And guess what I found out at Cal State Fullerton? I'm not that good. <laughs> I heard somebody say, oh, thank you for that. I, I, I needed that in, in when I was a freshman in college because I was like, here I am. Ha-ha, <laughs> check me out. <up. laughs> and everybody's like, <laughs> look at this guy. <laughs> now I had to learn. Sometimes you're great in some environments and you get into other environments and people are like, nah, you ain't it. Mm -mm. Sometimes it's just change of location shows you that. Like if I were to, I know all things are relative. I, a friend of mine came over to our house and his kid was with him. His kid was like 10 years old and he looked and I'm a movie junkie in a way. And I have these, I had this huge, not huge, it's about this big stack of DVDs, like it was, it was a shelf, right? That was the word I was looking for, shelf. <laughs> and it was all full of movies that I've been collecting for decades. And he walks in and sees that and his first words were, 
You're rich. It's like, dude, this was decades and half of these are gifts. Don't be impressed. <laughs> Don't be impressed. What impresses some people doesn't impress others. Our ways of defining greatness are relative to other people's and change over time and change with location. They are not what you build your life on. That is fleeting. The book of Ecclesiastes calls it vapor. It's, it's, it, you can't hold on to it. It's, it's gone in a minute. You, it's not worthy of what to build your life on and build your reputation on and build your sense of personal accomplishment on. The only way to do that is not to develop these material or vaporous ways of developing greatness. It's to have a great God and let Him be great in your life. To have that big God mentality I talked about a few weeks ago in which you understand greatness as His greatness and your closeness to Him. Your dependence on Him. That is the way to have a satisfying life. Abraham is discovering this. People are starting to see it in him. In uh, 21-22, we read it already. It says, At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all you do. What a thing to say. Can you imagine coming, somebody coming up to you and saying, you know, I see it. God is with you. I can't imagine anything greater <laughs> than someone saying, I see God at work in your life. That is cool. I see that in you. Abimelech. Now, this is the guy. If you've been following the story, if you're familiar with the story of Genesis, this guy is a king of a local city, and he has already had interaction with Abraham. And he got a firsthand experience of God with him, of God with Abraham. If you know the story, you know that Abraham at one point came into that city and lied about his wife, saying, she's my sister, because he was afraid that they would kill him to get her. Because she was cute. And Abimelech innocently said, well, I'll take her to have her come in and be one of my wives. He is a king. He uses, has many wives. He was bringing her in. And, and God struck his house with a plague and came to him in the night and said, you're going to die. Because this is that guy's wife. And he returned her, gave him gifts, and said, I'm sorry, and basically said to Abraham, what do what you got against me that you nearly got me killed? <laughs> so now Abraham is traveling around in the lands and the wilderness outside of these cities where all the pasture land is, and he's got his flocks out there. And Abimelech sees that, sees and remembers that God's at work with Abraham and says, I want to be on the right side of this, which is pretty smart. And comes to him and asks for a deal to be made. Let's be friends. <laughs> Let's have peace. Swear to treat me well and my descendants well. And be honest with me. No more lying, Abraham. Let's be honest with each other. He says, now therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me and my descendants and my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and the, with the land where you have sojourned. In other words, you get to stay here. You get to have your flocks here. You're here. We're cool, and you're going to be honest and deal right with me, and that'll be all right. And we'll we'll be we'll be friends. It'll be okay. We'll be peaceable with each other. It's a kind offer. He's proposing mutual respect. 
I don't mind you being here as long as you're good to me and we're okay. The last, after the last encounter, this is more than fair, right? What he's offering here. He's holding out a hand of friendship. Now, you might remember we talked about this last week, that we are not to compromise with sin, right? We are to be careful with what we surround ourselves and with whom we surround ourselves. Last week, I talked about having appropriate boundaries, which often are necessary for maintaining health, blessing, etc. We've got to put up healthy boundaries around us and how we're influenced. I talked about how this world is at war with God. You know that, right? It's not like a little tension. It's war. It's a problem. There's, between, there's enmity. There's strife between those who... When we want to follow God, there's going to be... Christians, for the most part, that we understand that we're following God together, but there's a world out there that doesn't want to follow God and doesn't want you to follow God. And this will create tension and strife and struggle. There's also the struggle within us, if we're honest, that we have. But we have this mission. We have this mission to represent God to the world, to reach out to the world. We're not allowed to isolate ourselves and run away from it. We have to be here and be a light in the darkness. To be within the commands of Jesus and follow him, we have to be out among people. We have to be for others. We have to love each other, and we have to show God's love to the world around us. I pointed out last week that there will always be conflict within the flesh and the spirit between those who are led by the flesh and those who are led by the spirit. We see that in the world today, and we see it in the church today. But we are not to seek strife and struggle and conflict. Do you know somebody who just loves to cause an argument? Do you like being around that person? When they start walking towards you, you know what you do. Oh, <laughs> uh, I got a thing, excuse me. And <laughs> you leave. Unless you're one of those people too. Then you go, oh great, here he comes. Here comes Donnie. He and I are going to talk. I wonder what it's going to be about today. <laughs> I remember being that person. <sighs> I was so argumentative in my uh, uh, Christian history class at my little Christian high school. It got to the point where somebody came up to me once and I knew I had a problem at this point. Someone came to me and said, hey, Dan, I didn't finish the math homework for next period. Can you argue with Mr. Smith the whole time so I can finish my math during Christian history? Can you do that? Sure. <laughs> I was like, say no more. <laughs> and I even argued about stuff I agreed with. That's how immature I was. <laughs> I was like, okay, he's talking about that doctrine. Cool. Hey, I disagree. <laughs> and Mr. Smith was the kind of teacher who'd be like, wonderful. <laughs> and let's go. And at one point he got confused. Dan, you disagree with this? I was like, just talking. <laughs> he's like, oh, you're just arguing. And then I kind of got in trouble and I learned a good lesson that day. Anyway. Those who seek conflict, we know that that's not a good thing, to seek conflict. And that's not what we're here to do. I'm telling you, the conflict exists, but we're not to seek it. We need to be authentically who we are. We need to express the truth and speak the truth and never compromise. But our attitude ought to be one of, I'm pointing you to Jesus, not I'm here to win an argument with you. I'm trying to help you be healthy, and I want to be healthy too, and you and I are in church together if we're talking about within the church. We're not here just to argue to see who's right. 
So many times we want to just be right. I've told you before, there was a time I was having an argument with my wife and it got down to a point where I, in my brain, I suddenly realized, you know, I knew she was right 10 minutes ago, but I'm still here because I want to win. That's the only thing that's going on right now. I just want to win. And sometimes we're like that with each other. We do it in church and we find reasons to fight, to disagree, and we stick to it because I want to win. And if I let Kendrick win, he'll never stop fighting me. So I got to win. <laughs> and I'm older than him, so I need to put him in his place. He, Kendrick and I have not argued, by the way. I'm just talking because you know, one of these days, all of you are going to learn and, and, and be sitting in the back. Nobody in the front rows because that's why it's the people I use. We're not to seek conflict. We're to, we're to resolve conflict. In fact, Jesus has a, fra a phrase he used. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. Now, please be clear. He's not saying blessed are the peacekeepers because that's a different thing. Peacekeeping is what we do when we're people pleasers. We just want to avoid conflict at all costs. And so we just do whatever we have to do to keep the peace. Not what I'm talking about. That's not authentic. That's not real. We often need to confront, but we need to check our hearts. Why am I confronting? Am I doing this to make peace? Am I doing this to uphold unity and health? Am I doing this because I want to help a brother out? Or am I doing this because it makes me look good? It makes me look smart. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, in Matthew 5, 9. Paul talks about this in Romans 12, 18. He says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I love that he put as far as it depends on you, because sometimes it won't always work, because not everyone out there is trying to be peacekeepers. Sometimes you encounter those argumentative people. Those people who just are stubborn and won't give in. But we are to, as far as it depends on us, live peaceably with all. Why am I talking about all this? Because here's a guy who comes to Abraham, and they have reasons that they could be at odds with each other. In fact, they've had a tense interaction already, and he comes and basically puts a hand out. And Abraham might have said, some of us might have said, you are a pagan, heathen king. What do you know about God is with me? What are you after? Now, I'm going to free-range my cattle out here, and you just go back to your little town. But Genesis 21, 24 says that Abraham said, I will swear. I'm in. I'll live peaceably with you. And why I'm talking about all this is because I want to say that we should too. We should, when the hand is open, be ready to receive it. Here's why. Christians should enjoy peaceful relationships with others. Christ followers should be open to peaceful relationships. We are saved to be a blessing. We are not saved just to be saved people in a little cluster. But we are to be a blessing to others. Remember he said to Abraham, you will be blessed so that you will be a blessing. Blessing is to flow out of you. Believers should, therefore, make and enjoy peaceful relationships with others. 
And I say that knowing that relationships are hard. And when, when we have a lot of things that are different, I know it's hard sometimes. I had a neighbor in California when I lived in a condo. There was a set of four condos all sharing walls with each other. Don't you, have you ever shared walls with your neighbors? Sometimes it's bad enough to share yards. But sometimes you share walls. <laughs> and I had a guy who apparently had a sound system that would make me very jealous I would love to have it in my home, but he had it hooked up to the wall that was right there where my stairs come up, and then on the right is the kid's bedroom, and then our bedroom and the bathroom, but here's this wall, and sometimes that thing would shake at 2 a.m. Like, what is he watching? What is happening? And what was great about that wall is you could just walk up and do this, and I know he heard that. One time I actually brought him, he was outside, and I was like, hey, come here. He's like, yeah, come inside. Hear that? <laughs> First of all, you're outside, and it's in there playing. You hear it? That's what we hear at 2 a.m. And he goes, oh, dude, I'm sorry. And by his breath, I knew he was drunk, so I said, good talk. And he went back home, and yeah. So we all know somebody, probably, or a few people at work school, in our neighborhood, that just is hard to get along with for whatever circumstances that we have. Relationships can be challenging. <clears throat> this story has a lot stacked against peace being made between these guys. But Abraham agreed. He agreed because he knew it was important and if he was supposed to be a blessing to people, he can't be running around just making everybody mad and pushing everybody away. He said, I can't live in isolation here. So, he agrees. More on that in a minute. But first, before he could agree, he had to bring up something. He had to be honest about a problem. And he says in verse 25, And Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. He's confronting him about a thing. Hey, I had a, a well out here and your servants took it and I don't have access to it anymore. Out there in an arid climate, and you've got flocks of sheep and cattle or whatever. Wells are super important. This isn't like your car is parked in front of my driveway and I can't get to 7-Eleven. This is, I can't feed my stuff. I can't water my animals or my family at that well and that well is mine. You guys took it. He was honest. He said, this is an issue. I want the peace, but let's clear some air. That, that's my well over there. Wells also had a thing about marking territory. Not that Abraham owned any territory yet, but it talks about the freedom of where you're able to move around. He isn't saying we can't have peace unless you fix this. He's saying, I want peace, but I don't want, therefore, something threatening the peace. There's an issue. My well. <laughs> let's clear up this issue. See, he's, what he's going for is restoration. He's, he's going for coming together. And Christians, not only should we seek peace, but we should protect peace. Christians should seek restoration when the peace is challenged. Peace often gets challenged. Have you noticed that in your family? Once you think you've cleaned things up and here's peace, some stuff can happen. Some things can come up. What most often happens 
when something comes up and challenges peace at home, at work, school, whatever it is, what is the most common response to just ignore it, right? Is that, is, is that what you sometimes experience? I, I've certainly, I have that tendency in myself. Oh, that'll resolve itself. <laughs> I don't want to get in it. I don't want to bring it up. I might have been tempted to be the guy right there to say, Abraham, Abraham, don't bring up the well right now. He's just now putting out your hand in friendship. This is not the time. <laughs> bring it up later. Send him an email. Text him. Don't just say it to his face. We avoid. And you know what's even better about the avoiding is that when we avoid, it doesn't get resolved, does it? It stays. And it usually does, your feelings don't fade. You start having more and more reasons to maintain your problem with what that other person said or did. So it starts to grow. And then you start telling others about it because you can't contain it. Or, you know, I love this one. You, you pass it off as, I'm just trying to see if I'm not thinking about this correctly. Danny, you know what my wife said to me the other day? And I don't know, it's been bothering me, and maybe it shouldn't bother me. Let me tell, let me tell it to you to see if it, am I right in being angry? You know, and, start, and he's going, uh-huh. You didn't even know I didn't even tell you what she said yet. I'm not talking to you. So, yeah, we go and we talk, and we start sharing the ideas, and I love it. I love it. I got to tell my kids about this the other day. When you start the conversation with not to gossip, but guess what you're about to do? You're about to gossip. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I don't mean to be racist, but um, <clears throat> maybe you should stop right there. <laughs> I don't know. Just saying. I mm, not to be a jerk, but jerky statement to follow. <laughs> Not to gossip, but see, we go instead of going to the person we ought to go to, we go to everyone else. <laughs> I love this definition of gossip that somebody told me: talking about a problem with everyone except for the person with which you have the problem. I've you've seen this a lot. I've seen it too. We go to the people who give us the affirmation we know we think they'll give us. To tell us, yeah, yeah, if my wife said that, I'd be mad too. If somebody in my church said that, I'd be mad too. Somebody at work, you're right to be angry. Okay, thank you. Which is why when people talk, tell me stuff, I like to say things like, because someone said it to me once and it gave me, I had exactly the same reaction the first time. You should go tell that person about it. What, what, no. Well, then how do you think this is going to get resolved? Well, I'm not interested in resolution. I'm just interested in people telling me that I'm right so I can hold on to my anger and feel justified by it. Jesus says, be a peacemaker. Paul says, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Are you doing all that depends on you right now? Absolutely not. I'm doing nothing to help this situation out. We need to get courageous. We need to be loving, yes, but lovingly point out. Here is a threat to the peace between us. Can we talk about it? How would it be if marriages were treated more like this? And instead of talking to Danny, I went to my wife. Now, Danny's got some wisdom on him. He probably would say it. Oh, man, that is her. That man, I, I, I feel you. That's painful. You should talk to her about it. You would say that. Maybe don't say it as nasty as you said it to me, but you need to go to her 
and talk to her and pursue her with this issue. Don't hide it anymore. It's just going to get worse. Because you hold on to a thing, the next thing that that person says or does that makes you mad, you add it. You keep adding it. And you keep adding it until this gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And all that person has to do now is sneeze in your presence. You're like, did you hear that? <laughs> I can't believe she sneezes like that. <laughs> it can get that bad. I've seen to it where, in my own heart, all certain all it has to happen is a certain person to walk into the room and I go, mm. <laughs> and I have to check myself. Why does that person bother me that much? All they got to do is breathe around me. <laughs> we either don't talk to the right people about it, we avoid it, we tell ourselves we're making peace, but we are not. You sit on the supposed insult. You brood thinking the worst about the other person. You get gossipy with others to get affirmation. You go everywhere except to the person to deal with it. I want to challenge you to create restoration around you. An attitude of restoration don't let things sit. Marriages get fixed when we confront. I, my wife and I have had to have many conversations over the course of our lives where we had to get just really honest. When you said that, that made me think this. It made me feel this. And you know what amazes me every time because I'm kind of dumb? Is that every time I say, you said that and I thought you meant this. She's like, no, I didn't mean that. I meant this, and says something that's very kind and, and sweet and loving, and I'm like, oh, you're not a monster. <laughs> oh yeah, that's why I married you. Dude, you're actually really smart and, and wonderful. <laughs> but I was thinking the worst. What does 1 Corinthians 13 tell us about love? It's just think, it means think the best. Hope for the best from somebody that you're in relationship with. Oh man, oh, don't get me started about how we can change our churches if we would just hope for the best from each other. And not the moment somebody says something that's a little bit out of the line. <gasps> how dare they? You feel me? You get this? You know what? I'm willing to bet every one of us has been talked about by somebody else in our lifetime. And how do you feel when the rumor mill gets it back to you? And you're like, wait, wait, what? They think, what about me? And then while we say that and think that about that other person, we go, oh, well, you know what I think about them? And we do the same stuff that they did about us. And we feel good about it because we punched back. Mm -mm. This is not the way, people. This is not how we do church. This is not how we do family. This shouldn't be how we do life. We shouldn't do it with people out in the world either. I know this is really basic, but it bears repeating. Treat others the way you would like to be treated. We need to be honest about our problems. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 15, He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him, say it with me, alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. What in that command statement are not options? Not talking about it is not an option. Stuffing your feelings is not an option. Telling other people other than the person with which you have a problem is not an option. 
The only way to obey Jesus here is to talk alone with that person. Why is this so important to Jesus, do you think? He's talking about the church here. He's talking about the problems I was just talking about right here. He desperately wants unity in our church. If you look at John 17, he's praying before he gets arrested. One of the main themes of what he's praying about is for the church to be united. And he isn't talking about doctrine, actually, believe it or not. Doctrine's incredibly important. I'm not trying to soft pedal that. But he's talking about our attitudes toward each other. Our desire to seek reconciliation when necessary. To be united in that stuff. Because this stuff kills churches. The lack of willingness for us to be united in this way, particularly, makes churches sick and kills churches when it is left unchecked. I don't mean it always means agreement. Reconciliation does not always mean that we will always see eye to eye on everything, but what it does mean is that we're going to choose, excuse me, to love and respect each other through our disagreements. Wives, for example, do you agree with your husband on every single thing? No, you don't. Was Donnie saying, yes, Amanda does. It's easy when she's not in the room, right? (laughs) We don't always agree. But there's something more important than agreement on everything. There's some things that you have to agree on, yes, but there's a lot of room for grace. We resolve. We at least come to a place where we can understand each other. There's no other way to follow Jesus unless we do this together. Anything else kills unity, sickens the church, and could kill the church. Outside of the church, we need to take this seriously as well. If we love our neighbors as ourselves like we're commanded to, this is the way. Abraham does the right thing. He brings it up. And Abimelech owns up to the issue and restores. He says I, in verse 26, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me. I have not heard about it until today. He said, look, I, I, sorry, I didn't, I didn't know about this until now. I hope that's an honest statement on his part. It probably is, but they go ahead and they move forward and they make the covenant. They cut the deal. It says, Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Why are sheep and oxen involved? If you need a reminder in Genesis 15 about what covenants are like, it's when you would take animals, cut them up, lay their pieces apart, and two parties would walk through between the pieces of the animals as if to say, if I don't own up to my end of this deal, may the fate of these animals be me. May I be ripped apart. May I be dead. This is a very powerful vow that a covenant is. So that's why he gave the animals and said, okay, let's do this. What are the terms? That Abraham won't mistreat or be dishonest with Abimelech and his kids, and he's free to settle and pasture his flocks and herds there. But Abraham goes above and beyond. Chapter 21, verse 28. Abraham left seven ewe lambs from the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what's the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you've set apart? He said, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand. That is, may it be a witness for me that I dug the well. He gives him a gift, a token of his promise that, yes, this is my well. I'm sacrificing more of my stuff to you to show you that I'm sincere about this. And these two part on good terms, therefore. Verse 31, therefore the place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath, 
So they made a covenant at Beersheba. And Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Why does it say, therefore, Beersheba? Because Beersheba in Hebrew means literally the well of seven, referring to the seven lambs that he gave. It's also that word Sheba is very similar to the word Saba in Hebrew, which means to swear. It's kind of a play on words, meaning both. So some people call it the well of swearing as a result. And um, not like cussing, swearing, like giving an oath, okay? So, the well, literally, well of seven. And this place is a very important place in the story of the Bible coming up. It refers to the southern border of someday where Israel is going to be. And if you read a lot in the Old Testament, it'll say something like the whole land with this idiom, from Dan in the north to Bathsheba in the south. This is, this is the place that that's referring to. Now, this is working out really well for Abraham. Just like God promised, and he begins to enjoy, <clears throat> excuse me, to enjoy it. It says, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And so Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Now, why a tree? Often people would set up pillars or trees as a commemorative like monument in a situation like that back in the day. It's also showing that he's settling in. He's planting stuff now. But more likely it's a monument, and he'll, whenever he sees that tree, he'll remember that he called on God there. God provided for this relationship that allowed him to flourish and cites this aspect of God, that he is everlasting. May he everlastingly oversee that which has been done here. Relationships that foster peace are a blessing and a wonderful thing. But here's how I want to end today. I don't want to well, let's look at this story and just think, oh, it's good to be nice. It's more than that. Oh, it's good to see how Abraham, you know, was blessed by God and a neighbor to, you know, have his way around the land. It's more than that. Our relationships, when they are blessed, are ways through which blessing should pass through us. So therefore, Christians, Christ followers like you and me, if that's you, should use their relationships and blessings to serve God. We should use our relationships, use our blessings to serve God. Yeah, the point of this is not just to be nice. No way. There's way more than that. When we have the freedom to move about within our world around us and have relationships that are honoring and respectful with people, we have in those relationships more opportunities to talk about and share Jesus with people. And I would present to you that that is something of vital importance to our existence. It goes down deep to the point of why we are here. Why we exist. Someone who was being just kind of funny put it this way, but I, you know, when you decided, yes, God, please forgive me my sins and I want to follow Jesus, you didn't go to heaven immediately. Because we got work to do here. Jesus told us to be salt and light. Matthew 5, 13-16, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how will the saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Then he goes on to another analogy. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all the house. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Our existence is to be a thing that causes other people to give glory to God in heaven because they see what we're doing in his name. We are to be, I know this is a phrase that's used in a different way today, but we are to be salty. Right? Some of you got t-shirts that say that. That means something else. In this case, what it's supposed to mean is that we are a seasoning to this world, a preservative factor in this world. We're different. We're supposed to have an effect around us. And some of us, as Christians, I've been there, I've known many, who we are trying our best to be different from the world and to preserve our own little places. But in, here in our churches or among Christians and in our families, we're really good at it. But in terms of the rest of the world, it's like the salt stays in the salt shaker. What good is it to anybody if it's still in the shaker? I was so pleased, honestly, when I asked, I think it was last week, how many of you have friends who aren't Christians and a bunch of you put your hands up? Because I've been in many rooms where nobody would put a hand up. All my friends are Christian. All my families are Christian. I go to work and work a bunch of, with a bunch of non-Christians. <gasps> Pastor Dan, you know what? A new hire at work is a Christian. We're going to spend all our lunch breaks together reading the Bible and praying together. Nothing wrong with that. That's cool. That's good. Maybe do that once a week and spend the rest of the time being around and inviting others into your experience of following Jesus. Might be better. You know, not one of you puts a big chunk of meat on the smoker or grill and doesn't season it. But so many Christians are pulling into a little hole and staying in the shaker. We're not shining our light in the darkness. We're putting the bushel under it. Put it under the bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Larry, please don't make us sing that song. <laughs> I just realized as I said it, uh-oh, Larry's going to go, ooh, that'll be good next week. Please, no. That's true. Well, uh -oh. we'll talk, we'll talk. <laughs> be the salt, be the light, people. Don't contain it. Don't hold it back. Too many Christians are hiding it, staying in our little safe places. We've got to be out there. And by out there, I don't mean standing on the corner yelling, fun as that might be for some people, with the bullhorn, boosting your social media posts, doing whatever it is where we're just calling everything out. What I mean is intentionally making and cultivating friendships and protecting friendships with people and using that leverage within that relationship to be the light and salt, to let people see Jesus. What that means is you and I are going to really have to let ourselves become friends with people and not just use people like, oh, I just met somebody I have a few things in common with. Oh, I want to tell this person about Jesus. I'll be nice to that person so that I can get a chance to tell the per that person will see your fakeness coming from a mile away. What it means is you're going to have to really be vulnerable and develop relationships with people, find commonalities. And tell yourself, I'm going to tell this person about Jesus. They're going to say no at first. And that's going to be okay. Because I'm in it for the long haul. I'm going to be this person's friend. But Dan, they'll be a bad influence on me. If you let them, <laughs> you don't have to let them. And I'm not saying go find the worst sinner you can find. <laughs> but find someone that you can be a friend with. I heard somebody say it this way. Make a friend, be a friend, 
make a friend, lead that friend to Christ. Part of your reason for being here. In 2016, there was a uh, study done at Biola University with one of my professors, Dr. Gary McIntosh. And what the study was about was that among Christians that had recently come to Jesus and began following Jesus. And what it was about was, how did you get here? How did you come to start following Jesus? They found that 11% of believers in their testing, wherever it was, became believers through the help of a total stranger. You leave a tract on a table at the restaurant. By the way, I've said it before, I'll say it again. If you're going to leave a gospel thingy on the table where you eat, put a good tip next to it. Good tip. All right? And, be, and before that, be nice to the server. Please. 11% through the help of a stranger. 17% through the staff member of a church that maybe they were visiting or interacting with in a different way led them to Jesus. Get this, 60% of the people they talked to came to Jesus through a friend or family member. The idea is most people come to Jesus through an existing relationship they have with another person. This is vitally important, therefore, to me and to all of us, I think. We should do the stuff, like the, the pray and go, I'm praying somebody comes, finally shows up and says, why are you here? Because you keep praying for me outside my door. That's awesome. That's through the stranger. When you say, oh, here's this person that needs Jesus. Dan, come here, talk to this person and save them. First, I'm going to tell you most likely if they're saying no to you, they're probably not going to say no to me. I mean, they probably will say no to me, but I'll try with you. I'll pray with you about for that person. Maybe that'll get us 17%, but 60%, the great majority, it's through existing relationships. I was invited to church. My neighbor was, turns out to be a really good person, even though he has his weird beliefs. And you know what? I got curious. Let me tell you this. In America, more and more increasingly, people don't know what the gospel really is. You ask the person on the street, more than likely the gospel to them is, Jesus died for me, so I should try to be better, be a better person. I should work hard on my salvation. I should try to be nicer. I try, I try to sin less. That's not the gospel. Your friends should know the gospel. And they should know it through you. Because you're the person that's there. You see how important it is, therefore, to just be basically a friendly person? To win the freedom to do this sort of thing? I mean, never mind the whole treat others the way you want to be treated. That should be basic. That should be foundational. And love your neighbor as yourself? Absolutely. But this is the gospel. This is our mission. This is why we're here. The Great Commission, right, is, is balanced in this situation. Do I have, if I won the right to express the gospel to someone who will know me enough to understand that I'm coming at them without a bad agenda? That I'm coming to them with a sincere desire to see them saved? I care about them. I know they care about me because here's the evidence. This isn't just some guy on the street, Pastor Dan out there with a bull, bull horn, trying to get more people into his church so the tithes will increase and he can give himself a raise. That's not what's going on here. It's I know Tim. I know Jackie. I know Robert. He wants me to know Jesus. He loves Jesus. And I see God at work in him. I want that for myself. How do I get there? 
you will have much more latitude to look somebody in the eye and say, you're a sinner, if there's a trusting relationship in place. Last week I talked about having friends who are not Christians. Again, many raised a hand, that's awesome. This is a huge opportunity. You have a huge opportunity. Think of yourself as the missionary. Tim comes up and tells us about missionaries that are out there. The missionaries that go away, trust that we're doing the work here. This is our mission field. And we are missionaries in it. So if you don't have some friends who aren't Christians, here's your homework this week. Make some. It's that simple. Again, they'll influence us badly, only if you're with them. And let me give you some boundaries. Your best friends should be Christians. Your place of real personal foundation should be grounded in Christ with you. So that you can have the strength and the armor of God on you and the word in your heart to go out and be the friend to people who need Jesus. So let's be friendly people. To the guy who works on your car. Robert, can I get an amen? <laughs> From the people who serve you at the restaurant. I don't care if the bread was cold when it came there. Be nice. To your banker. Your grocers. Well, if I'm always nice to these people, no, I'll never get what I need. No, no, you can confront lovingly within. That's kind of the point of what we're talking about here today. But be honest, be real, and be seeking reconciliation. To your grocers to your mail carriers, everybody. Earn some trust with people and enough trust that you can invite people to your church. You can tell people about Jesus so that you can be in a position in which, hey, you know I'm a Christian. Can I tell you what that means? What do you think it means to you? That's always a fun conversation to just start. What does it mean to you that I'm a Christian? What do you think that means? Well, I think that means this, this, and this. And you lovingly say, <laughs> uh, no, can I tell you what it really means? Let me tell you what Jesus has done. I would love for you to know it for yourself. Let me just get to one last objection to what I'm talking about before we go on. Dan, I just don't like people. Honestly, sometimes I don't like people either. I went to a thing with my family yesterday, a back-to-school bash at Joel's uh, school district, and there was probably 80,000 people crammed into a room this small. I'm exaggerating, but that's what it felt like. And after my wife decided to go to every single table in the place, she looked at me and said, you're not happy. I'm like, mm, this situation is a little too people-y for me. <laughs> Can you relate to that, some of you? Here's the problem. Here's what I got to remind myself, and I'm encouraging you with this. If you don't like people... Jesus does. I'm sorry. He does. And you can learn to do so. It might just have to start with, God, help me to like people. Because a bunch of them down here are really annoying. And let Jesus lovingly remind you, sometimes you're annoying too. And I love you. You can love them. We want, I would hope you want, to be a kind of person who loves following Jesus and loves following Jesus enough that you want to invite others to join you in it. You and I have no problem 
inviting others to join you into experiences you like. Want proof? Come up afterward and ask if I like Star Wars. I'll talk to you for hours. You want to go for two hours, three hours? Let's talk about J.R.R. Tolkien's published works. We will go all day. Someone described, said to me, you got a little nerdy in you. I said, thank you for saying a little. I didn't actually say it. I should have. I thought it. <laughs> Find a subject. Let's talk guns. Let's talk smoked meat. Let's talk grills. We can find things and we, you just start going. And all, even you introverts, you start going. Blah, 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 blah. I love blah, blah. You should come over and try it with me. Oh, yeah, yeah, cool, cool. Hey, let's talk about Jesus. <laughs> just looking from the outside in, you know what that looks like? We don't love Jesus. Looks like we're scared of Jesus. Jesus is that thing, that annoying habit you've got that puts people off. You don't want to bring them up. He's that dirty part of your house you don't let people come over and see when you're giving house tours. That's not Jesus. May I remind you that Jesus is the best thing you've got going on. And we should be willing to treat him like that. So, let's be friendly. Let's make friends. Let's receive peace when offered to us in good faith without compromising ourselves. Let's confront po with politeness, with the intent of restoring relationships, not just about getting our stuff and what we want out of life in order. Let's be less and less about what we deserve and are entitled to, and more and more about establishing connections with people so that we can leverage the blessings God has given us into being a blessing for others, especially the blessing of bringing people into an encounter with Jesus Christ. Let me offer this time a reflection and ask you to think deeply for yourself. Is there someone you need to make peace with? Is there someone wanting to make peace with you and you're refusing it? Are you really doing all you can? You can answer that. You and God can answer that to yourselves. Is there a step that you can take to point people you know to Jesus this week? Let's stand together and I invite you to pray. Maybe it's just to ask God these questions and be real with yourself. Be real with God. It might just be God ask, just help me to be a blessing to others. Help me to bring Jesus into my relationships. Maybe it's, Lord, there's some lack of peace between me and another person and I haven't done all I can. And for the sake of peace and beyond that, the sake of the ability for the gospel to shine in my life, to be salty in my experiences, help me to make the peace necessary. Let's have a time of silent reflection and then I'll close in prayer.